Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gill, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy for Catholic Studies Academy. And uh, as we begin today, I want to point everybody to uh, check out um, Dr. Smith's new book, Understanding Modern Political Ideas. It's available on Amazon and uh, in book format and in Kindle. Uh, for you people that don't like paper. <laughs> That's okay. So uh, today our topic is going to be uh, the myth of self. And uh, we just want to expand on some ideas that uh, Dr. Smith here had written in a few blog posts and uh, really kind of dive into this modern and very uh, pervasive idea that's mm-hmm. around today. And it's a, it's kind of an odd one, uh, but I think mm-hmm. it's an important one for Catholics to look at because it seems to be um, really infiltrating like every aspect of our life, whether it be, you know, mm-hmm. psychology or, you know, even in workplaces now, sure. uh, you know, that you get, you know, you may get emails or something about self care and, and all these, <laughs> all these kind of odd things. You're like, well, what uh-huh. that? I don't know. What that is. <laughs> right. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what we want to do today is kind of dive into that idea and really look at, maybe some of the philosophical foundations of this idea of the self. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Dr. Smith, why don't you get us started and kind of maybe talk a little bit about maybe this, this, you know, uh, uh, rampant idea. <laughs> yeah. So get, getting started, I think, uh, it is interesting just how pervasive it is when you start paying attention to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, there's even a magazine, right. The, the, a popular magazine marketed to women called self. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Like <laughs> really like a whole magazine called self. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, first time I ran across the cover of that, you know, uh, standing in the grocery store line, I was like, is this like a philosophical magazine on <laughs> personal identity issues or <laughs> in, in philosophy, right? Um, this, the question of this stuff comes up in uh, the philosophical problem of identity. How do you know? Yeah the same thing is um, that one thing is the same thing over time. And in particular, how do we know that about the human person? Um, That's kind of like the the philosophical issue. And I think that philosophical issue is interesting and important and connects with this popular idea. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the popular idea is everywhere. Like you said, like self-care, you know, people are discovering themselves, finding themselves as if they were lost, right? Uh, As if they they had a self at one point and then they lost it and then they had to go and find it again, right? Which is kind of a strange thing, you know, like- Like your car keys, right? (laughs) (laughs) I left myself in Montana. (laughs) My car keys, I left left right next to myself. I lost both. So, um, uh, it's an interesting and very pervasive idea. Yeah. Uh, but it does have some important philosophical background. And I think philosophical implications that maybe, you know, we're not sufficiently aware of. Uh, and, so, and some problems that go with it. Yeah. So, and, I'll go, and I'll go further. It's got anthropological problems. It's got theological problems. Got, <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you, yeah. if, especially, for those, especially for those folks that really get into some of this stuff. I mean, it mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. Uh, just turns you know, uh, the, the person on its head, it turns theology mm-hmm. on its head and does a lot of, it can do a lot of damage. Yeah. I'll I say think that. So. Um, so, uh, if you think about, uh, the philosophical background here, uh, you could, you could identify a number of thinkers, um, that contributed to the development of the idea of the self. A yeah. good modern author on this is, um, Charles Taylor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, kind of an interesting guy, uh, somebody influenced by Alistair McIntyre to some degree, um, but really interesting thinker. Uh, he has a book out called The Secular Age uh, that's gotten a lot of um, uh, interest. But he also had a book called Sources of the Self, mm. uh, which is kind of a, a you know masterful um, historical account of how this idea developed. Because something that's really interesting about this, right, is almost you know Latin and other languages have had a some sort of linguistic, you know, personal pronouns, right? Mm-hmm. I, me, that sort of thing, as well as possessive pronouns, mine, right? Things of that nature. Uh, and you need to talk, have something in your language to refer to what is one your your own, right? Yeah. You know, so um, that that's probably where the word self, just as a word, makes the most sense. Okay, but when you start talking about the idea, the idea of the self, almost as an entity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the key key point here. That's really has a specific history that comes out of modern philosophy. So we can again distinguish between sort of common sense, ordinary usage of the term self, right? Mm-hmm. When you just talk about, you know, well, for myself, I'm going to do such and such. You know, well, there you're just saying what you're going to do, right? Or <laughs> something that's your own. You're not necessarily attributing uh, some sort of metaphysical status to an entity or the idea of there being an entity or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. an entity, right? That is yourself. Um, so we could look at several different philosophers here as contributing to the growth of this idea, which really doesn't exist in the ancient medieval world, which is fascinating, right? Um, which uh, which for, our, for, our list, for our listeners, like that's, that should be like the red, the red flag for any idea. <laughs> or, or maybe the first question we ask, does this exist in the ancient? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. If it doesn't, maybe we should be a little skeptical of it. That's right. Or at least our approach, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So one, one philosopher here, modern philosopher, I want to pick up on uh, that he or identifies contributing to this is uh, famously Rene Descartes. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, how far, how many episodes do we have now, Jason? We're, uh, we're almost, uh, we're like at, uh, this is 90, I think. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So if you've been listening through 90, you've probably heard Descartes' <laughs> name at least <laughs> once. Um but, you know, Rene Descartes is famously associated with early modern philosophy. He has the famous arguments about, um, you know, the um, uh, the dream argument, right? Yeah. Uh, and the arch deceiver argument and all these sorts of interesting, fun, skeptical arguments that you deal with in, in early modern philosophy. Um, you know, it's important to know Descartes on, on those grounds to, to, to sure. understand what his work there. But uh, one of the things that he... That, come, that emerges from his analysis, right? Is he tries to give a series of arguments that lead you to doubt your senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, once you've doubt, started doubting your senses, he, you know, he starts to say, well, can you really be certain about your body, right? Because our best evidence for our bodily existence are our senses, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so he, of course he says now we really can't be certain about it now descartes project here just in brief is to try to arrive at a indubitable truth right great word <laughs> <laughs> something that cannot be doubted and yeah. then rebuild all of epistemology and knowledge on top of that indubitable idea um but along the way he has to be rather critical because he has to get rid of all these doubtful ideas and among them are reliability of the senses mm-hmm. uh, and, and the reality of the body. Now note, 
when Descartes says this, he's not himself asserting that the body doesn't exist. He's just saying we don't, we can't, we have, we can't know that it exists. Yeah, we don't have any really good grounds for uh, affirming affirming its existence. So um, the um, uh, but what he does come to as indubitable, right? And like you know, if you've ever taken a philosophy class, you should at some point come across the 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 uh, the statement, "I think, therefore I am." Yeah. Right. Um, and so, um, <laughs> occasionally, as an aside, you'll see so, somebody uh, pick up on that line and use it in a marketing way in a different context. You know, so I saw, <laughs> saw this one charitable group that was using it. <laughs> to try to promote giving and it said i care therefore i am bad philosophy does not make for good marketing yeah. i was like really like who thought that one up i mean that's the most maudlin sentimental mushy anyways all right recent um, grad from some <laughs> state school so the um um uh, yeah, um, yeah. So this so idea, the 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 cogito ergo sum right. uh, argument of I think therefore I am. It's it really just boils down to Descartes' just sheer skepticism of everything around him. That's right. Yeah, it's, I mean that's that's the move. That's how he gets there, right? Yeah, is he wants to eliminate every belief. Uh, that is not that is not certain. Well, and the thing and the thing the 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 audacity with this with this project that I mean we should kind of be shaking our heads is it has to be the 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 idea has to be certain to you mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. subject right so then right. you become the judgment like there's there's no there's no room here for I may be not recognizing something that's real mm-hmm. yeah did they ever come come yeah. in i mean i may not be recognizing that it's real uh or that you're missing something that's real sure i think that what he wants to say is that that the i mean it's funny his skepticism is rooted in you're quite right the certainty he has in his own mind yeah right so if his own mind is not certain, then he thinks the belief is not certain, right? Right. Um, so his own mind becomes the sort of ultimate uh, ultimate standard. But he's well, absolutely you know, certain that his mind will always be right if he judges something to be certain, right? If he judges it to be yeah, certain, unless, um, yeah, unless uh, unless um, well, he does allow for the possibility of deception through dreams and through an arch, right? <laughs> So That's you guys right. think like that if there's a omnipotent demon, um, yeah. then he could be deceived about that. But what he thinks he couldn't be deceived about is being deceived. That is, oh, yeah. couldn't be deceived about being a thinking kind of thing, right? That's right. his key, right? I think therefore I am. So even if I think wrongly, even if I think falsely, um, still I still know I'm thinking, right? Yeah. And therefore I exist. Uh, now I would say to Descartes' credit, I kind of, from a common sense perspective, think that if you're doing something, you must exist. Right? <laughs> right? So I don't. I, okay, good. Yeah. But the, but he says, see, here's the thing: is I can doubt my body. Mm-hmm. I can't doubt that I'm a thinking thing. 
therefore they must be two different things. Mm, and what I yeah. really am is a thinking thing. Yeah. I right now quotation marks around it underlined I equals that ego equals thinking thing, right? Yeah. I'm not this body, right? I am something distinct from this body. And he's very clear about this. This is what's called Cartesian dualism. Yeah. Right. I am a mind. Okay. Um, now I don't want to go too far off into the metaphysics of that. Sure. Uh, but it is interesting, right. That Descartes, like so many men of his age was a man of science and he was a man of geometry. Uh, in fact, uh, did some important work in geometry and algebra. Um, and he thought of the world, the physical world, as a machine, a clock, right? Mm -hmm. With gears that turned, right? And that, that really had a kind of mathematical precision and determination, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that if you knew all of the gears and all of the, their velocity and speed and all that sort of thing, the weight of things. In other words, if you could get a comprehensive quantitative um, picture of the world, you could basically know everything uh, about the physical world uh, and predict everything. Um, but see, the mind escapes that, right? Because the mind isn't bodily. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's an escape hatch, right? Uh, for for the person, for the human being, because he's a mind. And I think this kind of actually gets into a little bit of what's appealing about the myth of the self is the mind is free in this picture from the machine. From the material, right? Yeah. yeah from the material, it, from what it doesn't have control over, right? There's this you know, whole, like all of this stuff. Now, Descartes is a mathematician and, and a kind of aspiring scientist. Yeah. Know, he thinks of of this is wonderful. It's like, look at all the things we can figure out now, right? If we reduce the natural world to mathematics, uh, then we can really kind of determine things with mathematical precision and, and, and give a great deal of predictability here. And, and, you know, just fairly confident that we could attain immortal, that we can make bodies live forever, um, uh, give it enough time uh, and, uh, you know, sort of scientific discoveries. Artificial intelligence, alien. <laughs> right. So, um, so it's a materialistic view of the world and a dualistic uh, view of the person. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> what a great it's foundation. Here. So this is, but you think here's okay. I'm not my body. Very clear. But I am okay. free as a thinking thing, and that what I essentially am is a thinking thing. You get a, a different version of this. But, but with some similarities in the work of Immanuel Kant. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we've talked about Kant a lot, so I don't want to belabor the details here, but sure. you remember that, that he, he distinguishes between the thing in itself and the thing as perceived and conditioned by the knowing subject. Right. right? So both you and I are wearing glasses. Um, the idea here is that the human mind is something like that. That is, the human mind can only pick up on things once they've taken on a certain uh, structure. Mm -hmm. And that structure is not supplied by the thing in itself. That structure is supplied by the mind, right? Yeah. So that our experience, at least in part, is um, constructed by our own uh, cognitive apparatus, right? Yeah. Our own selves. This introduces then a distinction between the thing in itself, right, and our perception of it, right? And our perception of it is he calls the phenomena, 
mm-hmm. right? Mm, that just rolls off the tongue, right? Phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. I think I want to get a mug with that on there sometimes. <laughs> Phenomena. <laughs> but anyways, the, um, uh, the phenomena is our experience as constructed by the knowing subject, right? Um, but again, our, the phenomena is just what we experience, but it's as it's constructed by the human subject himself. We don't know the world as it is in itself, yeah. right? Uh, because all we can know is what we can build, right? That is what we can construct, there's a lot of interesting issues and questions that arise from that picture. Yeah. Um, Jason, you might want to put in the, the show notes something about some of our other episodes where we explored Kant in more detail. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll do. But um, the, um, one of the issues that came up within that Kantian picture is, well, unity. Like, how do we account for the unity, right, of experience, right? Um, and he said, because, you know, if it's not based on being and on reality, right? Like we could say, well, the unity of experience is because like I'm this body and there's other bodies out there and mm-hmm. they, we can account for the unity of experience in that way because of relationships between real beings, things in themselves. Right. Um, but Kant, that kind of answer is not available to Kant. That is, how does this all hang together and seem to happen right yeah. to a singular point of view? Right. Like today, you know, I woke up earlier, did some things earlier, then we're doing our podcast, then I'm going to do something later in the day. Um, those all seem to have some central point of reference, some unity, right, mm-hmm. to them. Um, but is that unity real or is it merely perceived, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I say there's no problems there, right? Because if you don't know the thing in itself, how do I know that all those different experiences are really related to a singular subject? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Or right. yeah, or even like, how do two people perceive the same thing? Like even, yeah. Again, do they? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what, or, what, or perceive uh, it in the same way. Like both of us can look at a green chair and say, "Hey, that's green chair." Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. He, Kant had just uh, this was one where you know, uh, every every thinker has some latent presuppositions he doesn't examine, and so yeah. he thought he really was laying out the universal structures of human consciousness. So he still did have kind of the idea of a universal human nature, but his answer to the unity of your experience through the day was to say that we recognize that the transcendental ego is the a priori necessary condition of the (laughs) unity of human experience. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Way too early for that. Okay, so the transcendental ego is the a priori necessary condition for the unity of human experience. Um, Unity of human experience just means that things are connected into a sort of a meaningful, uh, really related whole, right? Yeah. So we could talk about a day, a life, a life in the day of Jason Gale, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, A priori necessary condition, that's the highfalutin talk for just something that you have to assume, right? That is, um, it is a necessary condition for... for us to have the unity of experience. Yeah. What's a necessary condition that we affirm the existence of a transcendental ego. That is an ego that is undefined. It's a th- interestingly, we have to believe it's a thing in itself. It's outside the phenomena. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Um, it's something that's outside the phenomena. That's why it's transcendental. Oh, okay. You got it, right? I got it now. So 
it's interesting. And this is where we find freedom. The self that you experience in the phenomena, right, Jason, is the empirical self. And it's not free, right? Uh, it's, it's subject to Newtonian physics uh, and Kant's account, right? The only thing that's free is this transcendental ego, mm. right? That's, out, that's beyond experience. So, now, so this is really getting close to kind of the modern perception of self. I thing. think so. I think so, yeah. I, I, I mean, uh, again and again, Kant, it just seems to, to sort of um, <laughs> haunt modern thinking right the uh later german thinkers and and sort of it's always amazing to me uh that you know kant was a popular philosopher like i mean Mm -hmm. people read tons of his stuff and he was like people debated it and they were just they loved him and you're always sort of like how do you like if you read the critique of pure reasoning about you know 150 pages in and you know you realize you're only halfway through and you know you think how can people love this guy but but you know what the german people picked up on this or some germans um is that there's an inner and an outer right yeah and that in their cultural experience not going into all the details in their cultural experience, they, they experienced themselves as not free, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? But they had this internal desire for freedom and creativity and artistry that they weren't able to live out in their little uh, German princedoms, which tended to kind of operate on a kind of um, absolute ideal, uh, absolutism kind of model, like the yeah. absolute prince kind of model. Um, so... It, isn't that interesting, right? Like that, that sort of strange picture about the transcendental ego, right? And, and the, the phenomena, right? What that, that was received popularly as a way to articulate the experience of a lack of freedom yeah. in my experience, even at the social level. And I think that's key. Yes. Right. Yeah. As distinct from my interior freedom, right? Where I'm a well-cultivated man and I have uh, these internal experiences of beauty and freedom and spontaneity that, you know, doesn't fit into the empirical world, but nevertheless fits within my sort of transcendental world. Yeah, that's very, that's, I think that's very attractive to the modern, to the modern person. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if you, if you begin with, um, and, and not because you said you've, sat down and say, okay, I'm going to write out my, my, uh, my worldview based on different <laughs> philosophical positions. But I mean, mm-hmm. I think for the secular age, you're, you're looking at a world that is very materialistic, mm-hmm. that is uh, practical, uh, atheistic, uh, mm-hmm. to use um, Cardinal Ratzinger's kind of description, even though they may think of some superior being practically, right, 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 they're right. practically living as atheists. That, that this begins to, that this really makes sense um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with regards to who I am and, and trying to explain that experience of this, this outside control and this, this, lack of, this lack of outer freedom that, or this right. freedom that's on the outside that, or that's on the inside that doesn't correspond to my daily life. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to do things like, uh, you know, goat yoga and... Um, I have to live in a tiny home where, <laughs> where Birkenstocks with socks. Like, there's all kinds of ways that, that this becomes expressed you know, to the it's, modern person. I, 
I was just wondering, does, does a traditional hunting cabin uh, – uh, correspond to a tiny home. Can that be considered a tiny home? I hope so, because that's where I went. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That that, that that's really where the uh, I think one of the primary draws. Sure. Right. And 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 I I do want to say there's some there's like a, all sort of mistakes in philosophy and in thinking. There's a little bit of a purchase to this, right? I think mm-hmm. we. As rational animals, we are free. Yeah, uh, we are capable of self-governance at the very least. Um, but we do experience the world as outside of our control, mm-hmm. you know, in a whole variety of ways, right? I mean, down to like the body, for example, right? Yeah. Like as you go through life, the body changes <laughs> sometimes in ways you wish it would not. <laughs> right? you know? Exactly. And you yeah, can sort was, of re- you can was, fight. You can fight against Father Time. <laughs> But let me tell you what, Father Time is undefeated, except for like what maybe like a couple of people who got assumed into heaven. But. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was talking to my brother who just turned forty, uh-huh. and uh, I was like, "Man, I'm still in my prime, you old man." And uh, <laughs> I said, "Until one of my kids jumps on me, then I'm 56. Then I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's right. Why does that hurt? Yeah, it's go. it's tough. It's tough. So, all right. So how how would you or how can we how can we look at um, towards a for, for our discussion here, how can we uh, understand and kind of give a definition to the self? How would you, how would you define it? Yeah. So if we're going to sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, we've looked at two examples here, philosophical examples of, mm-hmm. um, you know, developing the idea of the self in Descartes and Kant. Um, the, um, you know, if you try to gather those strings together, yeah. you know, what, what do you end up with? And I think what you end up with is the idea of undefined consciousness, mm. right? And the view that your undefined consciousness is um, your fundamental identity and the fundamental subject of your actions and passions and relationships. What do you think about that, Jason? Yeah, I just asked you to give a definition, and you began with an <laughs> undefined. <laughs> oh, uh, thank you, Jason. That's, good, that's a good point. But, no, 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 no. But no, but I, I think you're. I think you're right because, on again, if 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 that your if that is your definition of this kind of undefined consciousness, that completely makes sense of why everything today is about you define who you are. You need to discover who you mm-hmm. are. You need to take time for uh, yourself and nobody else. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really, I mean, it re- really leads to a, a real egoism oh, and yeah. kind of a, just a, a self-determination that ignores yeah. reality and metaphysics. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. I? I mean, you think about that. It's right on Jason. The, um, uh, you think about this undefined an undefined subject, something that is essentially undefined, right? Yeah. As a subject, uh, there's a lot to be said about that. Um, but w- one of the things that's attractive about it, I guess, from a modern perspective, if you think of autonomy, right, yeah. as one of as the kind of one of the key pillar ideas of modernity, that is that you're a law unto yourself. Well, think about this: if it's undefined, then you get to define yourself. Yeah. Right. 
that is you get to kind of be your own creator mm-hmm. right you know yeah. um and that's uh it sounds it sounds very freeing it does it, it does. sounds yeah it sounds like right. a, oh that's what real freedom is it's, that's it's, right I get to you know it. i am this undefined you know uh i not only not only do i get to mark my own journey but i get to mm-hmm. mark exactly who i am that's right in, mm-hmm. in every aspect <laughs> that's right yeah so i can define uh, I don't come with a preset definition that limits me or that uh, points me in one direction. Um, I'm free to define myself, to come up with yeah. my own self-conception. No, self, self, self. Right? Yeah. Plug and, into and those. It, yeah. And when you're talking about this, you know, kind of undefined thing, well, I mean, honestly, like every time you look in the mirror, you see your definitions. Like I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I am, I, I yeah. do have some definition, like I'm five, so ten. This is, you know, yeah, like, uh, and again, that's me assuming that the body is part of the self, which yeah, is, right, right. which is yeah. a problem. Yeah. I think that that's, that's, that's contrary, right. Mm-hmm. To the idea of the self. Now we have a irrational, modern human beings have a irrational self-contradictory relationship to the body. <laughs> <laughs> Say the least. <laughs> we could, uh, you know, like it's kind of like an abuse. Like we're, we, our regard for the body is kind of maybe like an abusive spouse, right? <laughs> you know, like we're like about half the time we're like the body is meaningless. It's whatever. I can yeah. do whatever I want. You know, um, I can, um, you know, pierce it beyond human recognition. Uh, I can do all sorts of weird things to the body. Yeah, uh, and and it's just whatever I want it to be. It's like body, right? Yeah. And then on the other hand, people are obsessed with their bodies, right? Uh, to like, you know, 0% body fat and, you know, I'm going to torture myself so I can look just this way, right? You know, it's just this weird, like, you know, dichotomous relationship we have. You know, we love it and then we abuse it um, yeah. <laughs> all the time. It's strange. Um, but, um, but I think that's what, what, what's at work there, right? And it underlies a lot of our discussions and debates and our contemporary culture mm-hmm. um that you know the idea that um that i that i am undefined and mm-hmm. that my my being undefined is my most fundamental identity right it is my most um uh um fundamental subject right is that you know, like if you think about the subject grammatically right yeah it just you know, it's it's what does all the things in the sentence, right? And 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 it's the the subject that things are done to, right? Um, that that sort of uh, sheer undefined awareness is the primary subject of my life, right? Uh, not this body, yeah. right? Um, not my not anything that is social or historical, right? Uh, but just this sort of uh, undefined consciousness. All right, so we have this undefined consciousness from which the, right. <laughs> the the modern person has this blank slate of consciousness, whatever that is. And uh, uh, so, how how's a how's a Catholic supposed to approach this, or or you know even maybe uh, uh, argue against it? Yeah. How are we supposed to look at this? There are actually uh, this is one area where. Um, contemporary philosophy, even our twentieth century philosophy, is actually helpful. You can find any number of philosophers from different angles uh criticizing um this idea um probably the strongest i think argument against it and just the one i want to focus on right now is say there are a lot of them out there you just you know 
go to uh, you know, just Google arguments against the self and you'll find a ton. Okay. Uh, but one of them I think is uh, this most helpful is just the empirical test. Right. Yeah. Um, and odd to say, I think, I think David Hume gets this one right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it happens. What can I say? <laughs> but the, uh, uh, basically, you know, if you th- start to think about it, when, when was the last time you experienced the self? And do you remember Jason? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> like right. I, like I'm constant. I am myself. Like, That's right. like you are this, yourself. This, yeah, yeah. The, this idea that that the that the self is kind of this, you know, third party. The you know, the dude on the right. couch in my head. Like, <laughs> like right. yeah. it just won't leave me alone. That's like, right. He's, he keeps eating Cheetos. Uh, yeah. Hanging out. The, the, um, it doesn't not make a, any That's sense. not a real experience. Right. Like, if you think about so, if you try to introspect here this is a little weird to do but like if you try to like look into your memory yeah exercise your memory all of your experiences the self never shows up not even once right what you get is jason going hunting jason playing with his kids you know like if you went through every single memory you had which you couldn't but you know if you could you it would just simply never pop up Rather, what you would have are sensations, images, right? Uh, re-experiencing of, of you engaged with objects, yeah. you engaged with the world, you engaged with other people, right? Um, even if you start to think about memories of feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those feelings are not undefined. Uh, you're feeling, I mean, you can probably remember at some point feeling anger. Well, is the anger the self? No, because it's defined. And surely you wouldn't want to yeah. say that anger is your fundamental subject. Because if it was the case, sometimes you're not angry, right? <laughs> and then your fundamental subject would go away. So <laughs> when you start really thinking about it, right, and reflecting on your experience, it's just not there, right? So it's kind of like, uh, um, you want to just say, stop it, right? Like, yeah. it, it, there's no reason to believe that this thing exist as a distinct entity or yeah. as a distinct subject of experience yeah see and, th- and that and that's a that's a key thing there it it the its only existence is in an idea that's right which yeah. is not which doesn't really exist <laughs> so right. yeah. <laughs> and you know it's fine to have like imaginary uh uh subjects like hamlet Right. Yeah. You just don't start to, you just don't like start to say, Oh, and I am Hamlet or like that. You're imagining like, you know, that that subject is, is your identity. Right. If you do, we start to say, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, I mean, and when you, when you look at the the modern secular world, this is where you get like weird, weird inventions like those uh those pop-up tents that you can put over your desk chair at work so that you can have calming peace it's like my kids have that to play in the basement like again like it again you know like you just said like it's it's almost like this imaginary friend i mean it's it's so it's just it, it, it goes against you know i don't know adult reasoning yes, like yes, it go it just yes, kind of goes yeah, against yeah. It, it's something that doesn't have existence but but what it but what it does do is it it i think it gives the modern person a good justification for um being slightly selfish right 
slightly. So, well, okay, very selfish, egotistical, <laughs> narcissistic. Narcissistic, and, yeah. Right, and yeah. yeah, constantly comparing yourself to others, leading to right. bouts yes. of deep depression and yes. anxiety. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. you got me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the... Um, um, I so think, so it's completely outside of our empirical experience. It just yeah, it just doesn't no, doesn't make it's sense. outside of our interior experience, it's outside yeah. of our memory, outside of imagination. It's simply just a myth, right? It's like a yeah. unicorn, right? So sorry, friends. <laughs> unicorns unicorns don't exist and neither does the self. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um uh the um I, I, I feel people may be wincing when I say that because we've gotten so used to this idea. Yeah. Right? Um, but it's just dangerous. Is, and that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just is fantasy and myth. Um, so what's the better view, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this comes out so clearly when you look at the better view. You just need to pivot from this kind of uh, fantasy to a more holistic view of the human person in his integrity, yeah. right? Or... Uh, you know, good old Thomist uh, hylomorphic anthropology, right? Um, so using the big, the big phrases here, right? So you know, classical anthropology, right? Classical and Christian. The human person is the hylomorphic unity, mm-hmm. right? You are one thing. You are not identical to any of your parts, yeah. including even your reason, okay? Yeah. And, you know, St. Thomas and Aristotle rightly affirm the dignity of reason, the value of reason, the, that, the re, that reason's kind of maybe like the highest part within us. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, they don't then say, oh, you are your reason. Yeah. Right? They don't identify you with the part, right? Rather, they see the part as part of a greater whole. You are the body, soul, integrity, which you said a few minutes ago about looking in the mirror and seeing, seeing your definition, that's at least partially true, right? Yeah. I am, you know, I am a, a, a five, nine male that weighs a certain amount. I could share that and is bearded and bald and wears glasses. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's just part of who I am. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that's that, there's no mystery there. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't need to do any magical incantations. Okay. It's just there, right. Uh, yeah. Right in front of you. Um, so when you look at it now, of course, that's, that's to say that we're only the body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we certainly are bodily, but in addition to that, we also have this rational soul that gives us powers that transcend, right. Uh, the limitations of space and time and sensation and things like that transcend, but are always connected. Right. Yeah. So that's the yep. key there. And one of the things I think as Christians, sometimes we uh, underestimate the importance of this because we want to fight against materialism. Sometimes we go too far in the other direction towards dualism, but really, you know, Christianity is a very physical religion. Uh, it went all, almost all, a lot of the early heresies, you know, were really concerned uh, denying the bodily side, right? It's, it's importance within redemptive history. Sure. Um, and you know one of the key one of the things that's that, that makes Christianity really different is we believe in a historical resurrection of a specific body, namely the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That that event mm-hmm. in time, right, that body event is the most important event in history. And then also anticipate right our own resurrection. There's a lot of reasons you can talk about that, but uh, there are a lot of ways to talk about that. But one of the most important ways, right, is that it reflects our 
real unity as a human being, right? Is that what we look forward to is not being disembodied souls. What we look forward to is being an embodied rational animal, right? Redeemed and elevated in grace. Um, So that's, that's the better view. And one of the things is all of this is objective. Yeah. I'm a animal. It's just right there. I'm an animal. I'm a living kind of thing. And I'm sorry, I have a sex. I'm a male. Right. And that's just scientifically empirically verifiable. Right. Um, uh, In addition to that, uh, because I have a body, I have a relationship to certain other bodies. Namely, I'm a son to a specific set of parents. Right. Mm -hmm. You see, once you sort of accept that bodily identity, right, it starts to move out into your social identity. Right. Yeah. I don't have to define it. I don't need to invent it. It's already there. Right. I'm, I'm a body in a certain place. That means I have a certain country. I'm a body in a certain time. Right. You see how that works. Right. So it starts, you know, you have a historical identity. I'm an American. There's no mystery. It's not magical. I'm an American. Right. Um, people whose bodies were born in France are French. Right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, there you go. Right. It's just that simple. And then finally, we could say, right, that we have a rational capacity that makes us open towards God. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all of this is given and at hand, fruitful, directive, and clear, right? But in its place, we prefer this fantasy, right, of the self. Isn't that strange? Yeah, and it's it's really a denial of common sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and like we were saying with, you know, like the the empirical side of uh, this myth of self, that Mm -hmm. when you look at the, the better view, the classical view, your experience justifies that on almost on almost everything you do you you your body you know through your bodily senses you sense something uh your mind uh takes in all those impressions makes a decision about what to do and not some third person self doing it but you do it <laughs> right you yeah. do it and then you know uh, uh there there are consequences you know and sure if you if you punch me in the arm, I don't say, I don't say myself is okay, but, uh, but my body, you hurt my body. No, ow, you punched me, you know, like, you know, if <laughs> I don't want to say go around hitting people, but somebody tries to separate the body and the soul, just punch them in the arm. You know, the, they will quickly realize that their, that their body is part of them. Just kidding. Don't do that. You know, so, so it, it really, you know, and again, experience verifies uh, a lot mm. of this but also it, it doesn't you know the the it, it it's not based on certain kind of presuppositions of a materialistic world of a materialistic world right. Right. a uh, um a, an athe- a practical at least practical atheism mm. uh you know that it takes into account everything around you again mm. from from i think a a, a real openness Right. right to re- right, to right. receive the world as it is, mm-hmm. not to go around and try to define everything <laughs> uh, uh, as, as they want it to be. You know, right. it's like when I when I put out, you know, my you know, when, you know, you have toddlers and stuff like that, you'll put out some kitchen items or something mm-hmm. like that. And they define the use of all those things and they define them horribly. But mm-hmm. because they really have no uh, experience of what the tools actually do and right. how they were created it's a, it's a similar thing when we when we cease to 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 see how we were created that we were right. created with yeah. It. Yeah. like and and that's the thing with like this myth of self kind of char- characterization is uh uh 
it doesn't seem to ever ask the question, you know, where, you know, why was I created with this, with this body? What, what is the connection between the two? Could there be a reason for my existence outside Mm -hmm. of my own definition? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, Jason. That's, I think that's, that's uh, right on. And using the word created there, I think is instructive uh, and suggestive. Um, If you, if you endorse the myth of the self, right. Yeah. You can't, you, you don't bring the word creation in as a given, right? Because you're your own creator, right? Mm. Uh, you are, um, you generate your own identity, right? And so, you know, I want to say, and I, I hope this doesn't sound too nitpicky, but I, I really think that, or too censorious, that, that this is, um, this is a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> As in, it's, it's, uh, it's um, especially... Uh, anti-Christian, and it's certainly anti-common sense and against right reason. It's really a form of rebellion, I want to say, um, yeah. as in it's a rebellion against the the fact that you, that you do have a creator who is not you. You're not your self-creator. Um, it's a rebellion against your, your status as a creature mm-hmm. uh, who's been made bodily by God, right? Yeah. Uh, who's been given a certain sex by God, right? And so it's a rebellion against the the um, the work of God. The only way that transgenderism ever gets off the ground is if you have this myth of the self. If you say, "Well, yeah, my body has this sex, but myself is a different gender," right? Yeah. Right. If you don't have this myth of the self, transgenderism never gets off the ground. Right. In addition to that, it's a rebellion. I think against your parents, which sounds yeah. weird. But, you know, like, no, my identity is as a son, right? A son of specific parents. Yeah, and- see, where, where, where I think a lot of times the modern person will say, you know, my, my experience as a daughter mm-hmm. of these two people has affected me in this way or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it gets, it, 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 has, it, it, it has no place in authentically identifying the person, but kind mm-hmm. of, um, the person takes it into account as one of the forming um, data right. that I can either accept or deny as right. I define my own person. <laughs> right. It's just one of the data points, you know, uh, whereas sure. like, like you said, no, like I'm an American, you know, I'm uh-huh. a, I'm a Catholic, I'm a son, uh, I'm a sure, husband, sure, I'm a father. Yeah. Like you go through all these things, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, even, I mean, gosh, even look at like gladiator. It's one of my favorite lines, you know, in gladiator when he's like, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm Maximus, you know, like, and he goes through all these things of, of who he is, you know, he's like, well, I'm still working that out. You know, <laughs> That's right. I don't know. I'm, I'm Hoping this gladiator out. thing helps me find, helps on my me find myself. Yeah, it's on my journey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where are you on your journey of self-definition? Uh, anyways, yeah. the, um, uh, so, I think, as I say, it's really a form of rebellion, um, and 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 not to try to be too dramatic, but yeah. I think it is. It really is a a form of idolatry, right? That is, once you have, you know, St. Thomas when he talks about the spiritual sin of pride, mm-hmm. he talks about it in terms of making yourself the ultimate end. Yeah, isn't that interesting, right? And and if you have this idea of the self, right? Um, and it needs to be cared for. It needs to be protected. 
it needs to be honored. It needs to be pampered. It needs, you know, and you, it, and it, it really almost can easily become a little God, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, inside yeah. of you. Um, maybe that's a bit over the top, but I think it's getting at, at, at something central, right? Which is a kind of obsession with the self um, and pleasing the self, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that really displaces God, right? Yeah. Uh, as the, the ultimate end and is the root of a lot of sin. Uh, on this podcast, we don't uh, very often uh, affirm sayings from Martin Luther, uh, but I will say this one, right? He, has, he talks about man as incurvatus se, right? Curved in on himself, right? And I kind of think that's kind of like the myth of the self speaks to that, right? That is, or, or that speaks to the myth of the self, right? Where you make the self, right? This little entity that you've created, right? That's the key of idolatry, right? You yeah. make a God out of your own, you like with your own hands, right? You, you make this little God and you set it up as your ultimate end, right? And we, you know, we want to, and then we, we glorify it. How do we glorify it? By endless posts on Facebook, right? <laughs> you know, we're saying, here, look at myself. And we literally want what? Thumbs up. Likes, right? Yes. We want likes. We want glory and honor to be heaped on the mm-hmm. self, right? right. Uh, and somehow that makes us good. And, well, and when that doesn't open. happen, and when that doesn't happen, and it often does, uh-huh. then that's, in, you know, and this is why we live in a society that mm-hmm. uh, struggles with mental health issues, with right. depression, <laughs> with, right. you know, I mean, just mm-hmm. so many substance abuse, all these mm-hmm. things, and why even the term self-care has to even be a thing nowadays right. uh, is because we're generally less healthy and that's it's right, because right. we've decided to 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 live a life that is uh again like you said it's a myth it's a um, myth, yeah i mean it's a the, if 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 the self is your god it's a false god and it's gonna let you down right yeah. and then you're gonna do what despair right oh yeah when, you, when your god fails you right your false god fails you the natural result is despair yeah exactly and and what's what's you know, interesting is, you know, I think for the, the Catholic as they're trying to navigate these things, I mean, just compare, you know, you can probably just even Google um, different definitions of self and self-care and all these things mm-hmm. like that. And just compare that, compare that to what Jesus says in the gospels. Like if you want to find yourself, you have to lose it. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, or, or <laughs> the idea, or just the idea, you know, um, take up your cross, the idea of mm-hmm. sacrifice, uh, or, you know, the example is St. Paul, I must decrease. Right. What? Yeah. No, I'm not going to decrease. <laughs> like, I want to not just increase, but I want you to recognize my increase with yeah. likes. You That's know? right. Where's my self-affirmation in this, man? Let's yeah. cross. <laughs> you know? I'm supposed to be affirming myself. Yeah. I just, com- I, I don't know. My, my default comparison is always like, you know, the 18-year-olds that stormed the beaches of Normandy. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, People are like, well, you know, sometimes you need to take time to decompress at the end of a stressful work day at a computer. And mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I just think of those guys and I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, they were, they were not afforded. Yeah, there was, yeah. they were, they were not afforded all of these things. And, mm-hmm. um, they, but they, they, they found, they discovered that meaning through the gift of themselves, you know, and, mm-hmm. and soldiers understand this. 
uh, even, you know, right now, doctors and nurses understand this, this sure. real meaning in the gift of yourself, you know, sure, sure. a good book on that's Victor Frankl's book, but, um, What's uh, the title? uh, the man search for meaning, okay. uh, where he's in the, uh, um, concentration camp right, right, and, right. uh, and, and Germany and really discovers, uh, um, not discovers himself, uh, <laughs> but discovers meaning in through, sure. through the gift of himself. And I think this is one of the key points with any of the yeah. isms that we've talked about. And yeah. again, Catholics, this should be one of our go-to ways of analyzing something is what is the view of the human person? That's right. Um, That's right. Cause we, we've, you know, you've, you've done a great job, Dr. Smith of really looking at uh, like Marxism and mm -hmm. how it, you know, reduces the human person to something that it is not. It's a part. Right, right, and right, this again right. goes to like the, the central problem with this is that it's, it's, it's replacing the, the sum, it's replacing the whole for simply mm -hmm. a part. Right. And right, yeah, again, yeah. the classical view is more holistic. That's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the self, um, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to say, I want to figure out my purpose. Yeah. Okay. You know, if you're, if you're trying to get a better sense of your priorities in life, right. You know, the meaning of life, those are all healthy philosophical questions for which there are answers, right. Um, that's different than trying to this find yourself business, which, which brings in this whole idea of this non-existent fantasy um, uh, uh, entity called yeah. uh, the self. Um, I know we need to wrap up here. And I, I think um, this is a, a, a final thought. Uh, maybe this is something we'll come back to in the future yeah. um, because um, you know, you find this idea, I, I think it is really deadly. I really think it is rebellious and idolatrous. And I think you find it um, sadly in education. I think you find it's even more sadly in a lot of Christian spirituality. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and a lot of the self-help uh, movement and frankly, the, the new age movement. So, I mean, I think that, you know, that's something worth kind of keeping your eyes open, right. And being discerning about uh, the kind of spirituality that you're, you're yeah. being fed. Um, and a lot of it sounds good at first, you know, sure, it, you yeah, know, that, yeah. you know, we want to work towards being healthy, you that's know, right. mind and body. Yes, we yeah. do. Um, but, <laughs> but, but at the same time, we don't want to begin to mm -hmm. uh, uh, form a worldview that's um, contrary to the gospel. You know, that's right. Absolutely. You got it. Awesome. Well, I hope uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed this. I think uh, we've given them, you know, a lot to think about. And I'll put in the show notes there links to uh, Dr. Smith's articles on the myth of self, because um, it does have deep philosophical foundations. Uh, but also it does have serious consequences to our, our modern uh, age and uh, how Catholics fit into that secular world. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's something we have to be able to recognize and um, defeat right. um, clearly. Uh, and you know, make uh, uh, make no accommodations to That's right. to these to these kinds of worldviews that reduce the human person, or that you know, essentially act on um, creating, making themselves gods, putting right. themselves in that place, no place for man there. So, <laughs> all right. In the meantime, check all of out check out all of our content over at CatholicStudiesAcademy.com. God bless. <laughs>